Hey listeners, this episode discusses postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, endometriosis, miscarriage, pregnancy loss, and fertility treatments. Please take care when listening. You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome to this new episode of the Raised Empower podcast. This is the fourth and final episode in the special series that I've been doing this week about preparing for maternity leave and private practice. Each episode, I've chatted with a different woman about her experience in journeying to motherhood and navigating private practice. In some episodes, we've discussed pregnancy loss, fertility struggles, adoption, and single motherhood by choice. Today is part four of the series. You can go back and listen to the first three episodes of this series in the Raised to Empower podcast feed. Also, if you're preparing to welcome a child currently pregnant in the adoption process or whatever phase you're in as you're journeying towards motherhood and are wondering how to take maternity leave in private practice, what to prepare for, and all the other important details, I'm hosting a free workshop on July 12th where we will be going through all the details to prepare for maternity leave, including talking with clients about your leave and setting yourself up financially for taking time off. You can register for this free workshop at raisetoempower.com forward slash maternity leave, and you can check the show notes for the link. Today's guest, Haley, shares with us her decades-long health journey that impacted her ability to get pregnant. She opens up with us about how she cared for herself through the ups and downs of multiple rounds of fertility treatments and how she learned to advocate for her own mental, emotional, and physical needs. Here's my interview with her. Welcome to this week's episode of the Raise to Empower podcast. Our guest today is Haley Terrell. Haley is a therapist, endo-warrior, and mother. The only part she knew was therapist as she embarked on the journey to motherhood. Endometriosis was a diagnosis she was foreign to at the start of the many years of undergoing fertility treatments to find out this disease was the cause. From a young age, Haley would share symptoms with doctors of all different backgrounds and was always dismissed. Now she's supporting people with endo, seeking fertility support, navigating life transitions during the college years and more. She's committed to every person having the ability to find the medical care and support she found after a long 29 years from the symptom onset to official diagnosis. Haley, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have a chance to chat with you today. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. So take us back prior to going down the journey to motherhood. How did you get into this field? You're a social worker, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a social worker too. And we have, you know, obviously a variety of listeners in different groups. We have counselors, we have licensed marriage and family therapists. We have social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists for you. How did you get into this field? How did it start for you and the journey to where you are in private practice? It's interesting. I talked to my mom about this a lot. I was like eight or nine and I would see commercials on TV of kids that were living in, you know, countries that 
they were really impoverished and dealing with, you know, lack of housing and food. And I told my mom often, I would scream from the TV room. I would say like, we need to open an orphanage. Like our house has the room in it. Like, can't we bring everybody home? And when I was looking into what I wanted to do following um, college, I was applying to be a teacher. And then I pulled my applications back being like, I don't want, I don't know. I don't want to be a teacher in that way. So I applied for social work school, not even realizing that you could do like therapy. I was going to social work school because I was like, I'm going to open an orphanage. I'm 23. Like I can do this. Like all kids need a place. Um, That was really important to me. So I think that's my, the encouragement of that got, what got me there. Well, and I am always a big advocate for when people are like, should I go into social work or counseling? And I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I love social work because you can do so many things. You could open an orphanage, you could work in public policy, you could work in as micro as you want therapy, Absolutely. you know, individual. So there's a lot you can do with that. How long have you been in private practice and how did you move into working for yourself in that way? So in 2005, I got my graduate degree, MSW, and I went on to work in a, a placement for autism and developmental disabilities, which was such a great learning experience, but really just such a passion of mine. Great uh, mentorship and and all of those pieces were there for me. I, after that, started seeing some patients on Long Island in New York privately through a pediatrician's office, and I loved it. I loved the one-on-one abilities to kind of set my own times, not have to be stuck in these standard, like you're you're set up to meet for 30 minutes, but you really have to meet for 25 because you have to use those five minutes to write your notes and just could never just stop on a hard time. And from there, I started teaching Zumba. I started using my body. I started to really get into eating in a certain way. So I have a kind of smorgasbord yeah. of, of training because I was dealing with my own issues. Sure. I look back and I realized I was searching and seeking for myself and for myself to feel better. So in 2010, I moved to Connecticut and became a school social worker in a high school and a pretty big high school, um, an affluent neighborhood. However, you know, what was beautiful about it, we had a lot of people that didn't have access to healthcare in the way I thought mm. they would. And so in that job, I really started to connect with girls between 13 and 18 years old, sometimes up till 21 and looking at like how, how their, um, mental health was connected to their physical health and how much even the school nurses didn't understand when a kid was in there and struggling with really bad period cramps or just like this, these unknown symptoms, they were always seen as, Oh, Haley, Hey, it's the nurse. Um, so-and-so is down here again. She's having another panic attack. I've mm. done breath work with her. I've done the things you've shown me. However, it's not working because she really had a legitimate diagnosis, right? Yeah. She so many girls. So that was my job for 12 years and the pandemic came and it pushed me to move home to work from home for my school job. Um, however, my private practice had started in 2012 for my living room. Yeah. I had a former high school student begging me to see her. And I said, oh, well, I don't want to really open a private practice right now. I'm like, that's <laughs> case. So like, do you want to just like come to my couch, which worked out amazingly from yeah. there, I started doing um, meditation support circles for women. And we would sit around my, my living room and we would yeah. chant and we would talk and we would share. And what would always come up was this like underlying piece about, I feel like my health is off. There's something wrong Mm. with me. And it would always go into like something wrong with my mental health, but I would sit there and really look like kind of like a onlooker, like researching, like, 
it's not your mental health. Like your stomach's really bloated or you just told me you keep getting all these rashes all over your body. Like how do we get you in contact with the professionals that are going to help you with that space? Yeah. So that was 2012. Now we're at 2020, the pandemic hits. My private practice continues. It moves completely online. And in 2020, I was 40. And I had been going at that point through about two to two and a half years of fertility treatments myself Mm -hmm. with my husband and nothing was making sense. And I decided I would work in my school job, see some individuals for therapy in my private practice. And then I was going to work as a full-time practitioner of medical researcher for my own fertility, my family's Mm. fertility. Yeah, And I would research and I would sit and I would talk to doctors all over the country to find out who was going to be the person who's going to educate me, but also that I could educate to say, this is my deal. With that, I ended up with a surgeon who finally said, hey, listen, you've got to get surgery and boom, here I am, July of 2020, 40 years old, going in for my post-op meeting with this doctor. And he said, you absolutely have endometriosis. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was like this foreign, foreign word. Like, what was that? Like, can you explain that to me? Like, and he's like, yes, that's what caused the inflammation. That's what caused the issues with you when you would go out socially and you had to go home because you were in pain and your emotional yeah. health, this whole thing started to really sure. show up. And I was like, well, duh. Yeah. So at this point, right, I'm already a licensed clinical social worker. I became a yoga teacher in 2014 because that was a quest to like, I need to leave the country. I need to find myself. I was having trouble dating because of my endometriosis. Mm. I was pain all the time. And the intimacy and the sexuality piece of dating, I was so intimidated and didn't want to deal with it. So yeah. I was going to go away. I also became a whole health coach, um, a holistic health coach. And that I did like 2000, that must've been like 2012, 13. Yeah. And then I moved on to doing embodied dance teacher training. So everything started to like, in my own life, swirl into this, like my mind body connection is like so sure. powerful right now. And how do I hone in to heal myself, to get myself into those, into the framework that I can then step in front of other people, even family members and friends, not even just Mm. my professional life. Like, how do I, how do I take myself from this place of no one understood me? I was dismissed by doctors. I felt like a hypochondriac. I was told I was a hypochondriac. I lost friends. I was socially awkward. I, all these things always, you know, were there. How do I then move from this? So I get this diagnosis in 2020 in July, and I'm told, well, you probably need another fertility treatment, whether that was IUI, which is artificial insemination, or not artificial insemination, well, yeah, insemination with my husband's sperm, yeah, or IVF, right, which yeah. we, most of us have heard of, and in vitro fertilization. And I said to my husband, I'm not doing it. Like, mm. we're not doing that. Like I had surgery. There's so many women out there who have been told that if they have surgery for endometriosis and they remove this tissue, the endometrial lining that gets all disturbed in your body, you can get pregnant. And we did. Yeah. We got yeah. pregnant two months later at 40 wow. years old. Both of us were 40. Um, we felt that we like beat the odds. My surgeon was crying. How Haley, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but like after your surgery, you were at the bottom of my list. There was no way I thought you could get pregnant after being wow. inside your body and seeing what was going on with your endometriosis. So crazy, right? Like, yeah, wow. Like, and at this point I'm praying and God is such a center of our lives. And so we had give birth to our son Maddox in June of 2021. He's going to be two in a couple of weeks. He's the best thing in the entire world. And he was recently met by his brother Holden. We just had a baby 10 weeks ago. And again, like 
nobody knows how this happened, except for the fact that the surgeon that I was so lucky to work with did a new stem cell procedure on me. I was the first patient in the world to have this procedure. He was the first doctor to do this. He's recently patented it and it worked. It worked. It worked. If I could tell you what it was called and all of that, I would love to, but I like, don't know the medical terminology. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So my private practice stayed this whole entire time. And I then with Maddox, my first son on maternity leave through my Mm -hmm. school job. Right. So I had great maternity, great benefits. I was really afraid to lose all of that. Sure. Never did I know we'd have a second child, but I'm like, how am I leaving that? But really what private practice has taught me is I just don't want to be on the clock for someone else. I don't want to be told when I can go home or when I can eat or when I can pee. Like it, it got, then part of that, we've even talked to medical researchers, like absolutely that stress on my system was Mm. why I wasn't getting pregnant too. Like I was doing an injection in the bathroom and going in to see a family that was in crisis and you can't not take all that on. Right. Right. And it enters you energetically and you sure. use your skills to remove it, which I do, but you're right. in this process. So end of story is I quit my job in the school system, which was a really big deal. It yeah. was really painful and stressful during my pregnancy with Maddox. I often wonder if his acid reflux was associated again, that mind body mm. connection, because I was so torn from being a very career driven woman till sure. I was 40 you know, all these years, I didn't think I was going to have children. I got married at 37 because again, this like endometriosis. Now mm-hmm. I have the answer. I always thought like something was wrong with me that, yeah. and it was, but not in the way I was told. And right. so I quit my job and I focused on my private practice, which is, it's the best decision I ever made in my garage. We finished our home garage. Yeah. Um, and then here comes this other baby Holden I'm pregnant we find out we're having another boy we're so thrilled we're like oh good we don't have to buy any more clothes we're all set we've got everything set up they could share a room like all that and then I went oh my god Colin to my husband like who's taking care of two children Mm. like for us to put our children in daycare or have a nanny or whatever that looks like I'm gonna be I could work more I could see a lot more people and afford a nanny and afford daycare but then we'll never see, we're never seeing our children. What is this, what is this going to be like? And I didn't have maternity leave benefits. I didn't have anything, right? We were even like our life insurance and all this, like, what do we have to put in place? It's so stressful as so many know. And Connecticut started this thing called Connecticut paid leave. Really? And I was like, oh my God. And so I'm researching about this and I'm, I gave birth in the beginning of April. So this is like, January, December, December, January, I'm reading about it. And it's like, well, you have to be a W-2 employee and your company pays into this Connecticut paid leave. If you ever worked for a school system, you're not entitled. However, it was really, if you're working for a school system, you're not entitled. So if I had kept that job and not had any remaining maternity benefits, because I used them up with Maddox, I wouldn't have had, I'd've had some coverage. But if I hadn't left that job, I wouldn't have access to this, right? So there was all this like, wow, like it's really coming through. So anyway, end of story, I've been getting paid for 12 full weeks by Connecticut paid leave to be on maternity leave. Of course, it's not the same amount I'd make if I was working. However, you know, you make your changes and you figure it out. And um, I can also change it to intermittent maternity leave. So like in the middle of June, I'm going to start going back to work four hours a week. I still receive my benefit minus those four hours. Yeah. And you know, there are other States that have this and there are States that don't. 
and the states that don't like let's say I was doing this I didn't have my school income my school maternity leave all of that right pension was really hard to leave sure now I'm sure sure. I left it um what would I have done there's ways to do savings and budgeting and all those things is it time consuming of course however there are so many amazing resources I'm sure as you know on Facebook that's like simple profit or simple practice you know a lot of us use that for our Mm -hmm. electronic records like they have all these things about how do you prepare yourself for these parts and who covers your caseload right I have two wonderful friends that are therapists just because they're friends wasn't my reason to hire them as like the person or or partner with them to take over it was because they're really great therapists and they are similar to the way I practice however they both offer different modalities Mm-hmm. And I'm a believer as a practitioner that I don't own my clients. Mm-hmm. I don't need the covering therapist to sign like an affidavit, like, you know, like, right, I right. not steal your clients, which I was asked to do several times. And I refused maternity leave coverage for others because yeah. people need to go where they need. So for instance, one of the therapists who helps and supports the individuals while I'm out, she does EMDR and more trauma-based therapy. Another person yeah. does more around the realm of, you know, eating and, and, eating disorder kind of focus. And so after Maddox's maternity leave, a lot of people went on and met with them and didn't stay with me, which I was so excited about, right? Because they had access, which I didn't have. So anyway, where I am, I'm in private practice. I'm going to be joining um, a physician in her practice soon, which I'm excited about, Um, but I will always keep my private practice. Yeah. Always. Going back to the part where you kind of finally get this diagnosis of endometriosis, had that been on your radar or was that a real shock to you that like, I've been searching for all these answers and this was not one that I thought was going to be there? No, it wasn't a shock. It was, um, it took, it was a lot of different emotions that came up. Right. And I, at 40, or, I mean, I'm not saying because I was 40, I was so skillful. I could, another person could be 20 and have this awareness and these coping abilities. Right. But I had them finally at 40. I did not have them earlier, Mm. maybe 35. I could have been really, really pissed off and angry. Yeah. And a lot of people in my life were really angry for me. I had seen one doctor in Connecticut for six rounds of insemination or IVF. And I would have pain when they would do the internal ultrasound yeah. with the one that literally goes in internally. Right. Yeah. And I would have pain in the lower right side of my belly. And I'd say that really hurts. And I would be reminded by a former gynecologist. Well, remember you had your ultrasound with us and the ultrasound tech told you that it's a pulled muscle. And I'm like, well, how do I still have a pulled muscle? That was six years ago. I don't yeah. have a pulled muscle. But I have scar tissue. Yeah, but what is scar tissue? Scar tissue is often endometriosis. So mm-hmm. my midwife that I saw when I first moved to Connecticut back in 2010 reminded me, she's like, Hilly, I was asking you to go for biopsies and you didn't want to. And I was telling you if by 35, you didn't have children yet, you may want to freeze your eggs and you didn't want to. She's like, not that that was anything bad. She was the most wonderful support. I still am friends with her actually. But I didn't remember her telling me I was going for a biopsy. So when I found this out, I called her and I was like, how did you not tell me? Like, she's like, Haley, I can open up the records. It's in there. I had been so shut down since 11 years old of being told that like the pain in my stomach, throwing up all this stuff, you know, was I'm just this anxious mess. I have issues. I'm not like anyone else. I'm weird. Um, 
I, I walked around often, probably until I got my diagnosis of endometriosis being like, I am not good enough. Like there's something mm. terribly wrong with me, but nobody's telling me what it is. So it's my fault. Yeah. And I've had yeah. doctors tell me it's my fault. So in that fertility practice, I said to one of the nurses who I love, I said, I think I have endometriosis maybe because I was starting to begin to research Okay, with this practice. It was really the start of fertility. So I was like allowing the doctor to run the show and he was always like, let me make the decisions. I'm the doctor. And I loved that. I'm like, good, you yeah. do it. Tell me, you know? And when we moved on to IVF, my husband and I were like, obviously we're going to get pregnant. Like IVF gets you pregnant. We did yeah. not. We miscarried and made like zero eggs mm. and he was floored. Yeah. And that's very common in endo. So I said to him one day, I think I have endometriosis. Can you check me? And the only way to check is surgery, invasive surgery. Yeah. So he said, oh, don't worry about it, Haley. If you have it, IVF will bypass it. And when I look back at that, I'm like, sure, you could get pregnant for like maybe a half a minute. Like I did five mm. to six weeks. I still had a loss. That baby was still ours. Yeah. It was this yeah. world, not just mine. We don't own our children, right? Right. So yeah, like I've thought for a while, let me go back and tell him off or whatever. But truthfully, I, I went back and I thanked him. I went into the office and I thanked his staff and I thanked him. I didn't ever talk to him. He didn't want, I, you know, he was always busy because he probably yeah. felt bad, but he was wonderful. He even said like, go to a second opinion. And during COVID, I had spoken to all these doctors across the country. And one in particular was in New York city. And he was like this big wig and a really good friend of mine was like, my wife went through this. You should go to him. But she, she didn't have um, children via IVF. They ended up adopting, which is beautiful, but he was still insistent that this doctor is it. And I, I don't name doctors because my experience with someone could be completely for different sure. from someone else. Like for sure, this gentleman said to me and he, he, so this doctor focuses a lot on older women over 35 by getting them pregnant with their own eggs. Right. So he said to me, if you get endometrio surgery for endometriosis, then you better, be you better believe it. You'll never be a mother mm. that, that still gets an icky spot inside of me, not because sure. I'm hurt by it, but because he's going to say that to someone to else, or else, how many people are hearing that. Yeah. And if the pandemic yeah. didn't happen and I didn't have time to slow down, I wouldn't have left my job and I wouldn't have known, I wouldn't probably be a mom. So right. I look at that and that's not true at all. They held yeah. my ovaries up so that they didn't adhere to my organs after surgery. Cause you have, oh. it's like a 24 to 48 hour period. And my surgeon knew that. And he was like, no way. He's like, I'm going to protect your ovaries. And the fertility doctor I found during all that time of like across the country, he was in New York city. He's like my favorite person. Um, he was very simple and he's like, this is how it goes. And I said, I want testing for autoimmune conditions. I want killer cell testing. I want this. I was reading, I was looking. And he would tell me if I was like overboard, he was like, listen, that's in the books and the research, I get it, but that's so not needed in your case. That's mm -hmm. not really needed in anyone's case. You don't need to do that. But he would call labs for me that cause he couldn't run the test and he would get them done. We got every test done before yeah. I was able to sit for any procedure. Sure. And so anyway, then I had the surgery for endo, but it wasn't a shock, but it's a shock to my system that so many of us just like are just suffer. being a therapist. Let me tell you, yeah, I should know better. I should be doing my breathing. I should reduce mm. my stress. And I went to another doctor who was known as a bulldog. This was also before surgery. This was after the first doctor. And my husband and I walked in and sat with her and she said, um, so you want me to just be Frank? And we were like, well, I don't know. 
And she was like, well, I'm going to be. And she's like, if you want to be parents 100%, well, you should adopt. And if you want to be parents 70 to 80, then get a donor egg because your egg's not going to cut it. Literally wow. those words. And I remember wow. being like, all right, she's a bulldog. Let's do this. Sure. She did a procedure on me and didn't time it correctly at all, which puts you in this two week wait period of knowing that you're not pregnant, but hoping that you are because you know sure. she messed up. And it was just ugly, right? So, so many people have told me I couldn't be a mom. My husband couldn't be a father. Mm. Um, you know, I had the moments of looking at my husband being like, I'm sorry, mm. right? But it was, we were both told that it was unexplained infertility. So it wasn't his fault. It wasn't my fault, but it was someone's fault. And we didn't know who it was. So, you know, when you're in the throes of it, you're like, well, it's your fault, it's your fault. And we're sure. trying to be kind to each other. But after all, sure. these times, you're just like, I'm done. And what, what right. are we going to do if we don't have kids? Cause now we're right. so like, you know, on it, but I know your question was short and my answer is so long. No, that's okay. It, and if they didn't keep telling me, I couldn't be a mom, quite honestly, I might not be. So when I look back, I am so grateful for the six rounds with the first doctor, the two rounds with the second doctor. Um, I don't even remember, like I went all over the place. It yeah. was everywhere. I was at huge institutions, private practices, well-known, yeah. not known, uh, I'm yeah. so happy because I have the gift now of understanding what is an IVF cycle? What does it feel right. like emotionally? What are the steps? What, what are the things that they're saying? What do these words mean? These acronyms, sure. these medications, nor sure. I don't speak as a doctor and I won't tell someone right, what to do medically, right. but I can say, oh yeah, you want to know, you know, what TTC is trying to conceive yeah. and going through surgery. I now know how painful it was. I also know that during surgery, I was able to just expel so much trauma that's been in my body right? because of what I went through. Um, and aside from endometriosis, of course, I've been through other stuff. So it's a gift. It's a real gift. And yeah. I talked to my husband a lot and he he's healed through it, but not fully. Right. So I finally said to him one day, you realize that I could take my show on the road type deal. I hate saying it that way, but I can share my story and through sharing and witnessing other couples and what people who can get pregnant, just witnessing the, the evolution. I have a sure. friend yesterday who got her egg transfer after a major surgery. I mean, she was in bad shape and she told me yesterday, I'm really empowered. And I'm like, yes, yeah. I got to witness that. I don't need you to thank me for giving you a surgeon's name. I need you to just know that you can do this. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so excited that in two weeks, I know she's going to call me and say, we're pregnant. I just yeah. know, but my husband doesn't have that. And so I think other people that are going through this as well, I, I bring that lens on my husband's in finance. Sure. I sit with women in finance that are going through fertility and I sit back and I meditate on it, right. As a meditation teacher too. And I think, my God, like she, this person across the screen from me, where is she putting this? Yeah. So I've been in a space of encouraging, like find someone else in your life that's going through it. Talk to someone in the waiting room. That's a whole nother topic, but the waiting yeah. room for fertility, no one speaks. It's like yeah. the written law. You don't talk because if you talk, you might find out that she's pregnant or this one miscarried, or this one's on a different cycle, or yeah. she's getting better treatment than you are. And one day I broke that seal witnessing this couple walking in. She was crying. He was stressed. They were coming for their first egg transfer. Mine was two days later. I was sitting by myself just for like a checkup. We became the best of friends. We're still friends. Mm -hmm. They've recently moved yeah. away. They're coming home at the end of the month to see us. Um, they have two babies. Yeah. So yeah. it's a gift. We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. 
Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug and send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. Especially when it comes to infertility, when it comes to miscarriage loss, there is such this like tight lipped, keep quiet. And, and I don't think it's, you know, any one person's fault, but I think again, like our world doesn't know what to do with grief and loss. And, you know, there's been so many mixed messages. I mean, you were told like, it's your fault. It's, you know, you've caused this. And, and so what does that do to us as women? We internalize that. Right. And so I've just experienced this major upheaval in my life where I lost my baby and, I'm now mm-hmm. blaming myself. So I'm not going to tell somebody else because no. I already feel shame. So someone else is going to no. shame me. But if we can take some of that stigma out, right, it, it can be empowering when you talk to somebody else and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've been there too, or I'm going through that now. So, so empowering. And that's the piece that I connect with so thoroughly I was confused, like why these surgeons who only knew me for, I mean, they knew me quite well physically and my history as a patient, but they didn't know my practice. They never asked for my resume. I talked to them about what I did. I was so confused. Like, why are these like big time famous practitioners in New York city hiring me to be their therapist? Like, Mm. that's kind of weird. Like, are you legit? Like, what, like, what are we doing here? And I finally spoke to one of them about it. And she said, Haley, you're an endo warrior. Like you've been there, you know, you know, everything, you know, fertility, like I do. And it's true. And I can't tell you how many people, including myself who have seen therapists. So I, I saw therapists who discounted a lot and actually put me in a head spin that something was wrong with me, Mm. that I could be, you know, this, that, or whatever diagnosis in the mental health world. And of course I have mental health diagnoses. I don't think there's anyone with my condition that doesn't or anyone in the world really. And it's just happening more and more people coming like, well, my therapist said, and I'm like, well, does your therapist have a personal experience? And, you know, I was like worried about some of that, you know, our social work training is very much code of ethics and you don't share a lot of yourself in that. And I've switched the script because that's the important part. And one example, and I say this with such love, because if, and when any of my former colleagues, like coworkers would hear this, I don't want them to feel that I you know, hold them to this, that I'm angry, that I'm resentful, whatever it is. I was at the time to an extent, but again, they pushed me to leave my job. Really. I was working with other social workers, school psychologists, school counselors, and we were on this weekly meeting called therapy for the therapist. Hmm. If anyone knows anything about school social work, it's not clinical, right? Really don't get into it. You're not in not fires, groups, right? <laughs> You're not like in process groups with other therapists talking about your transference and what came up for you with this client or that you just go to work and you work and it's not about you ever, unless it's the social context of conversation, which schools are very clicky and, you know, 
Yeah. Like that whole thing. And so we're in this group and every week we have to say like, what's our rating between one to five, about oh, zero to four, I think it was about how we're feeling. And if you're a three or above, you need to share about what you're going through. And of course, most of our shares should be about school. And this situation with this student is causing me to not focus enough on that student or whatever it is. Right. And here I am sitting there. I'm about to start my third round of IVF, which ended up being my last round of IVF four days later. Some people knew, but you know, I don't expect people to remember. I don't realize I'm in the throes of massive hormonal shifts. I just, mm. I'm held to this standard. Something is wrong with me. I'm different. I talk too much. You know, I, my staff don't like me, like my coworkers, mm. like I'm too much. I'm immature, whatever it is that I kept hearing. Sure. It all came flooding at me. And I was talking about this with my mom yesterday because she's staying with us. And she said, I don't get how you didn't just walk out of that meeting. Mm. We're in this meeting. I rate myself at a four. I'm in bad shape. I know this next cycle's coming. I'm having trouble focusing at work. So um, actually, this was the, like two weeks before I tell them I'm just really having a hard time. And it was kind of like this a lot. It was a lot for them. Of course yeah. it is. But your mental health professionals it's therapy for the therapist. I get it's a school-based job, but this is my place to unload it because sure. I'm freaking out and I don't even realize, right? So this meeting comes on and I had approached one of our colleagues to tell him that I was really upset with him. He had said things about me over the years and now it's just kind of coming to a head and I'm just done, right? I have all these hormones in my body. I'm done. I want this handled. I want him put in his place. So there was mm -hmm. definitely righteousness within me. And I don't even realize like what I'm creating. So here I am two weeks later, he comes with a handwritten letter, all edited, you could see it. And he reads this letter to the group and he has a very powerful personality and he can be very intimidating, but also incredibly loving. And um, he basically says that I have created this whole thing and I shouldn't this and I shouldn't that. And in this group, when you're a share and you could put yourself on as a topic. So he was on as a topic that mm. he needed to you know, help the environment. He thought that this was like imposing upon our group. He said, um, I want everyone to go around and give me feedback and affirmation. So I needed to sit through a team of, I think there were like seven of us, everyone going around and it became about me. Mm. So, and so we totally understand she, you know, we don't share personally in our group. So it was very like third party-ish coming at me and yeah. nobody would look at me. And I remember in my head being like, you're going to sit here and you're going to take this and you're going to be strong and you're not going to run and you're not going to cry. And you're not even going to talk because everyone has told you that you talk too much, that you're too emotional, that you're too this. I'm going to show them I can handle this. And that's yeah. what I said to my mom yesterday. I was not getting up because I have been trying for my whole life to be different than I've actually been able to be. Yeah. Finally, yeah. now I don't talk too much unless I'm excited about a topic, which can be often. Yeah. I'm here. I'm a mom. I know my mission. I know I'm amazing. I love myself. I will never sit through something like that again. Yeah. I would have said, are you guys serious? Is this how we're spending our time? Sure. But I was in such a broken down part of myself. Yeah. I was 39 and I was done 11 yeah. years old onset of period 39. I'm sitting in this meeting 40. My diagnosis comes that's 29 years living yeah. in warp zone of like, I'm so, excuse my French fucked up. I'm like no one else. And I have yeah. to change and morph into something. I'm not, thank God I was 40. And now at 43, having had my second child, I'm finally me again. Yeah. Well, I'm curious for you, like, you know, you kind of alluded to like in that meeting where you're 
already struggling with just the challenges of work, but then you're also going through this fertility treatment for you in your work as a social worker, whether it was in the schoolwork or in private practice, how did you cope with what you were going through emotionally about your own health, but also about the the fertility, because it can be really challenging for fertility treatments for those that don't know. I mean, it is, it's literally a cycle and it is a roller coaster that you're on where Mm -hmm. you're like, okay, we're crossing our fingers and seeing what happens in a few weeks and we're ready for this high. And then there can be this really deep low and then we're going to do it again. And if it's not leading to a pregnancy, then it is this constant getting hopes up, not too high. And then this, this drop and this grief. And I'm curious for you, how did you manage that or cope with that when it came to, okay, I'm dealing with my own stuff here. Mm -hmm. And now I'm, you know, supposed to go support my clients here. And, and I'm wrestling with either. I physically don't feel good. I emotionally don't feel good. I mentally don't feel good. How did you kind of reconcile that in your work as a clinician? So it's the fertility stuff started the conversation at 36. We got married at 37. I also went through a whole thing with thyroid that like threw me off. Right. Um, I didn't have trust for medical professionals. Yeah. So I knew I needed to work. There was like, that was a no brainer. I had to go to work. Could I call out and take a sick day here and there? Yes. But being home with no work happening, I didn't want to be with my head. That two week wait is the hardest part of any fertility. I could infect my stomach a thousand times over, but that weight was wretched. Um, I hired my own therapist who in retrospect, I think just didn't understand and had gone through fertility herself, but in a different way. And some of the things she would say, they weren't meant to be hurtful, but they hurt and they made Mm. me doubt myself. Right. I hired a life coach. I went to yoga as much as I could. You're also told don't exercise. Don't this don't bring your heart rate over that. I remember I loved this elliptical class. I just loved the energy of the people, not even the elliptical really. And then I would wear a heart rate monitor and be like, Oh my God, I'm over it. Then I would have a full panic attack, get off, Mm -hmm. try to get my heart rate down. Cause I'm like, well, I just had a cycle. So I'm going to lose this baby again. I confided in people at work. I thought I was confiding in people I could trust and and I do trust them. Right. They just, like you said, it's touch of stigma. No one knows what to do with it. I did have a coworker begging me to go get tested for endo. And it's so Mm. funny when I look back, I thank her all the time. And I'm like, I just didn't hear it again. Yeah. Cause it wasn't meant to happen. Then I think the healing that I had gone through needed to happen before I was a mom. I often would reach out to family members and close friends, like through the work day, just to say like, Hey, I'm in like a funk and I need you to check on me. Yeah. Our secretary utilizing supports. Oh, totally. Our secretary. I'm still really good friends with her. Two of them actually one had gone through fertility herself years prior. I would often just get a wink from them or eye contact. Um, and I knew I was oversharing at work. I lived alone in Connecticut. I saw everyone with their families for all these years and going home to their families. And as a person living alone, like I thought like, I'm so different. I stand out. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows I go home alone. You feel like you're just like this elephant in the room. However, now that I'm a mom with a family and a husband and all these things that I wanted, I realized no one even thought of me like that because they were so, in, you get so into your life, like They're you're busy. down with their own stuff. And I love that. I know that because I have people coming to me all the time. Like I'm the, I'm the oddball out. I'm like, no one knows except yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Um, I also, would take some um, 
time to myself to just go be in nature. That has always been a big thing. Yeah. And what do you know? My son of nature, even as young as 10, like he could be screaming and we go stand out with the trees and he's like, okay, I'm good. Um, you know, exercise, bike riding with my husband when we only had one, like to be able to, or no, when we were not parents yet, just getting myself into what I consider like, and I love internal family systems. IFS is a therapy model that I really love. And it says that you have your true self and then you have the parts of you that develop over time. And my true self is when I'm out, wind in my hair, sweating, exercising, feeling so strong. So if I had a few of those moments during fertility, that was huge. Um, I couldn't sweat. I couldn't exercise. I still am just getting back to exercise and I have residual medical concerns I have to deal with from endometriosis from, you know, the pressure of giving birth on my body. And again, I'm humbling myself and coming back to like, I really want to work out. I want to be in that space. Getting in touch with a pelvic floor physical therapist was huge for me because that person actually going internal and Mm. telling me like, yeah, you've got stuff going on in your pelvic floor was huge. Giving birth to my first son. I mean, it took forever. I was pushing forever. I didn't have any medication. I was just too scared of like that big epidural needle, though. I think epidurals are wonderful for anyone that's gotten them. I just was too scared of it. I feel that my labor was so long or our labor was so long because there was so much healing to be had. Mm. There was so much to leave. And even after my surgery for endometriosis, I remember crying and my dad came to take care of me and my dad and I have had our ups and downs and we had the most beautiful visit. Like it was like all this internal trauma. Cause your trauma does live often sure. in your plexus in your stomach, right? Like your first brain of your body. Um, it was so healing yeah. and then giving birth to Holden in the bathtub because I didn't have time. I almost gave birth on the highway. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. The highway was shutting down because there was a massive accident. And if we had left 15 minutes later, we would have had to pull over on 95, a major highway yeah. and give birth on the side. Even my midwife was like, yeah. So yeah. there's, you know, just that awareness of there's something bigger, but the biggest thing that I did was I have a friend, one of my best friends, she lost her baby when her baby was three days old. Mm. I was in the hospital. I filled out the birth certificate. I was a very big part of what was going on unexpectedly. I just come yeah. back from Costa Rica from a yoga teacher training and just randomly was like, can I just come to your birth? And it was yeah. a C-section. She's like, okay. And thank God I was there. And thank God she, you know, was open to my support after. Sure. Um, but I asked her, like, she has two beautiful, amazing boys now. She had lost a girl. And I had said to her, like, how have you coped? Like, I know it's very different, but like, I need, I need a place. I need to know other yeah. than therapy. And so I joined in with other women that she was connected with and I connected to God big time. Mm. I did. Yeah. And I still pray. My sister is the one who was like, you got to get, get out of your own way and start surrendering and put this in God's hands. Come back to that Haley. Like, and I did. Yeah. And that's, that's what I have to say is it's, if someone asked me the one main thing to do to support yourself, just pray. Yeah. And it have a conversation like- with whether it's God or another something, whatever it is yeah. for you, a family member that's passed on, like have a conversation. We're not taught how to pray and there's yeah. no right way. And we don't pray because we think we're doing it wrong. Just like meditation. Like I'm doing it right. wrong. I'm thinking you're supposed to think like, just right. do it. Right. I mean, it sounds like, you know, yourself so well, and that you had 
over the years identified ways of coping probably with what you were going through physically that again, you didn't know what it was, but you know, I feel good in my body when I do this, Mm -hmm. this helps me. And, and so again, not that anyone would say, go have endometriosis, right? But that it taught you how to cope with the highs and lows of emotions. And you had built those skills already to be able to use them when you were going through compounded emotional highs and lows where you have what you're physically feeling from endometriosis symptoms, but then also in the midst of all of this upheaval with fertility treatments. I'm curious for you, kind of moving more towards once you were able to get pregnant with your two boys and being in practice with that, did you find yourself, because I know it is common for a lot of women who've gone through fertility struggles, that almost a sense of like this fear of I'm finally pregnant, like, is this going to come to be? Did you find yourself struggling with that at all during that time? And, And if So how did that again, impact your practice and being able to be there for clients? Big time. So surgery was June of 20. I was pregnant by like August of 20. I gave birth in June of 21. Yeah. So I was still working in the school till November of 20. Okay. Yes. So, and then I took, I called HR with the union. And I said, like, I just need some reduction in hours. I'm working from home at my computer and I'm in pain and I don't eat. I don't have time because it was so much harder to be a school social worker from home. So hard. Right. Couldn't right. just go to a classroom and pull a kid out. Yeah. Call parents and like figure this out. Um, and crisis was like a whole nother ball game. So I took a leave of absence from my school job. And I don't know why I'm blanking right now on even your question, probably because of the trauma of it. I, I I know what you asked. I was, I don't use the word petrified often. I was petrified. Mm. I remember finding out we were pregnant and like having joy and wanting to, and had such joy. I was actually on a zoom meeting with a bunch of people for like a parent meeting for a kid in special education. The meeting was going beautifully. I saw an email come through. I thought it was my work email, which like, obviously I would look at just to make sure like I'm in a meeting and it's been two hours and I want to make sure all my are okay. Does someone need me? Cause I could easily send a text or help somebody. It was my personal email somehow. I, I like never looked at that at work, but perhaps like, I just like had it open. I don't even know how it happened. And I see my doctor's name and these exclamation points across the screen. And I'm literally, my face is on the camera with all these yeah. other and I'm crying my mic's off, thank God, but I don't even know I'm crying. I don't even remember I'm on the meeting. That joy was like nothing I've ever felt in my mm. entire life. And within probably 20 minutes of sharing, like immediately calling my husband, us telling our moms or whatever it was, like at that point, um, I remember every time I told somebody, it got worse. So within mm. the first day, because you know, our family has been waiting and yeah. Everyone right away because that was scary. God forbid you tell them, then you're gonna have to go on Facebook and tell them that's not working, right? Again, yeah. Um, I was petrified and I used my job in the school. I focused all of my energy on hating it. That's all I would talk about. I would talk about that meeting where I was treated so poorly. I would talk about all my flaws, talk about people at school don't like me. I need to leave, but I can't leave because I want them to see a changed version of me. Mm-hmm. And that even when I'm talking to you now, I'm like, wow, I spent so much of my life trying to change myself to like, be like, yes, I made it. I'm what yeah. I'm supposed to be. And I am, I absolutely am now. Yeah. 
but it's not from that point of view that I'm doing it for anyone else, except for the fact that I am doing it for a ton of people so that they can have that release like I'm having. Um, but yeah, like it was so scary to the point, like I said, I really think my son had acid reflux because of it. He was born with really some tight muscles. Um, I think a lot of that was positional and I've had to do a lot of self-compassion training through IFS internal family systems and like take care of myself because I have a lot of blame that I did something so terribly Mm -hmm. to my son. My husband and I, of course, like we're at odds at times while pregnant because he was scared. Yeah. Um, Men and partners don't get support. It's so horrible. Even in, we were in couples therapy at one point with the person who went through fertility. She was a fertility expert, um, perinatal. Um, I don't feel like he was addressed in the ways that he needed to be, because again, it's just not a focus of our world. There's a lot around women empowerment, which I love your series and your podcast and men just makes me sad. When we gave birth, I had postpartum pretty bad, pretty bad. I didn't even want to connect with it. My therapist had been telling me to start, you know, Zoloft or Lexapro two weeks before my due date. And I was like, no, I don't need that. I'll like, see how I do. Um, oh, I needed that. And again, being a therapist, I don't know why there was like a stigma. And again, it was, there's something majorly wrong with me. I Mm. wasn't able to give birth quickly. Um, yes, great. I was like, I didn't get an epidural. I needed something to hang my hat on. I chanted and sang the whole time through my whole birth. Two nurses stayed longer to see me give birth because my birth was so magical, supposedly, which yes, of course, to me it was, I just know it was other people, blah, 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 blah. All these things. I could tell that story a thousand times. I haven't written it. So I remember six weeks, seven weeks postpartum, I was a mess. He wasn't sleeping. He was reflux. He was puking all the time. He wasn't pooping. I mean, I also probably was doing all of those things and I was so tight in my body. And I remember taking Zoloft and thinking, all right, I'm going to change again. I was still Mm -hmm. in it. I even had a diagnosis by then. And I was like, all right, yeah, yeah. I'm going to be what I need to be as a wife. Not that my husband asked me to be anything. He's so loving and accepting, or I have to be this for this person or that for this person clear enough to be a mom. I don't need help. Right. Sure. And then when I got pregnant with Holden, it was another state of mind. I had already been a mom for 13 months. I had to cold Turkey, stop breastfeeding Maddox at 13 months, which Mm -hmm. I was so proud of myself for doing so long. And again, it doesn't matter. You can breastfeed for two days, zero days or whatever. doesn't matter. Right. But you have so much pressure. When we got pregnant with Holden, it was just like ease. Mm. We've already done it. I know what it's like to be a mom. Then I would have fears of how am I going to raise two together? Am I going to want to give him back? Because my postpartum would be like, my friends would come over to see me with Maddox or family and be like, can you just take him for the weekend? Like there was such disconnect. There was also that situation with the girl in Massachusetts. Um, She was a nurse. She had postpartum psychosis. So with Holden that had happened while I was pregnant. And I remember being like, whoa, I had postpartum with Maddox. And did I ever have psychosis? Because you get so right. We can all anyone that's can relate to me or you or what, whomever I had questioned, do I have psychosis? Am I really crazy? Am I this or that? And I would never label a diagnosis here because anybody with any diagnosis, it doesn't mean you're less than I thought I was so much less than right. right? There was one diagnosis that would come into my head or be brought to my attention often. And I'm like, do I really have that? Sure. And legit, like I have PTSD Sure. Am I OCD? Absolutely. Did I come from a family with OCD? Yes, big time. However, my OCD got so bad in terms of like what people thought of me obsessing, like needing to know what people felt about me. 
getting validation, needing it and needing it, um, not cleanliness so much, just more like ritualized stuff. Or am I going to wear this pair of socks and have bad luck today? Like all that kind of stuff was my, my parts in terms of internal family system, my parts being like, we're keeping you safe, keeping you away from drug addiction, keeping you away from this, keeping you away, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Um, so that I definitely went through with Holden feeling all that stuff kind of reemerge and how am I going to do this again? Um, how's our marriage going to go through two children? And we've been doing really, really well. Um, my mom's been here for two weeks and I had support at other times, of course, Colin's family, my family, friends and all that. And I must've had the two boys together alone for like a solid three weeks. And I had other moms with two same age one and they would have their child in daycare still. Right. And I was like, they're like, how the hell do you do You're with both of them all day. And I'm like, yeah, you're not like you, why is your kid still going to daycare? You're on maternity leave. And they're like, oh, hell no. One, we have to keep the spot in daycare Two, She loves it or he loves it. And quite frankly, I can't do too. And that humbled me because I was like, I thought I was just really bad at it because I was so stressed mm. and sleep deprived. And, you know, my older son was melting down. Like he started with the word mine the second the baby came home. And now yeah. I've become his and my belly button is his like fix, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Lovey, it's my, me, myself. Yeah. And, but today I'm at ease. How did your journey through fertility and to motherhood help you determine what you wanted to do for maternity leave? Because I know for some women, it's I it took me so long to get this child that I don't want to miss a moment of it. And so yeah. I'm going to take X amount of time. And for others, it's, I don't feel like I can take this because of finances or whatever it may right. be for, for each of your boys. What did you do lengthwise? And how did you figure out what you wanted your maternity leave to look like? So with Maddox, my first son, who was born in June of 21, I took a leave for my school job. So I received maternity leave coverage and support financially till I think it was like December of the next year, like of 2021. Then I went on an unpaid leave just to hold my position because you could take a year. And I just didn't know I was still in the throes of like, do I leave? Do I not? It was a big conversation for a long time. I had that financial support and then December came and I didn't, or January came and we didn't. And it was kind of like, right. So I did start working. I started working, um, I actually had started seeing two individuals for pretty significant counseling therapy. Four weeks before I gave birth, they had called, they couldn't find anyone. It was pandemic. Nobody was taking yeah. any new patients, client, whatever. And I was like, all right, well, I can take you, but here's the deal. I could go out and give birth in two seconds. But like, sure. if you want to do this journey with me, let's go for it. So I met with them each or two of them randomly. I mean, not randomly, but it was amazing how they came to. And it was some of the best therapeutic work I've been part of. Um, mm. not by my doing the dynamic between me and each of these people were wonderful. We met twice a week and we went full fledged. Yeah. And I remember being like, I knew one of one individual I was working with was getting a major surgery. Um, and I gave birth, um, like a week before my due date. So I ended up seeing someone at like the first week just by phone to check in. Cause I own my mm-hmm. own business. So I wasn't like, well, I can't sure. work. I just didn't sure. charge. And I said, Hey, this isn't a session, but you know, you had reached out and let's check in. And do you want to reach out to the covering therapist that I have? And this person was like, listen, it's like just something so like personal, like, can I just talk to you right before my surgery and right after? Absolutely. So some practitioners in our field, friends of mine were like, how did you not charge? That's so inappropriate. Haley, it's your time. And I was like, I'm thank you for giving me like your opinion about my value. I appreciate that. But my value is in being 
relational. And that mm-hmm. to me is you can have all the training in the world, but if you're not relational and that relationship isn't there with your client, then you're not the right fit. And I'm not the right fit for some people, a lot sure. of people. So I did a little bit of that, right? So not paid. Um, but then at four weeks, I started seeing people gradually. And again, I didn't have any paid leave. I didn't have anyone to ask, can I go back to work? I just went back to work. Yeah. And I had best friends come and take care of my son or family members. I never had to do daycare, thank God, because again, all the sickness was pretty scary. Sure. It was tough at times because, you know, childcare, people getting sick, family yeah. members like wanting to do it, but not being able to do it because he was a really reflexy baby. He would scream all day long. And I never want him to feel at fault for that because he's just such a gem. But, yeah. you know, he did. He had a hard time. Uh, we all had a hard time. So that was with Maddox. And I still have to say, like, I never went back to like a full throttle schedule. I made it mm. work 10 to 15 hours. And then I maintained that. Yeah. So when I got pregnant with Holden and I maintained that kind of work and I had friends and I just made it kind of work on, yeah. you know, I ended up befriending someone in our neighborhood. We live in a very close knit neighborhood. That's wonderful. And she was outside of her house with her son one day. And it's my personality to be like, eh, put my brakes on the stroller and be like, Hey, you have a kid want to hang out. And so we would get together often. She's like 11 years younger than me. We are just, I just love her. Um, I believe she loves me too. Um, but anyway, our sons are a year apart and they started off with mine and not sharing and like having yeah. this very sibling based, um, life. Uh, this little guy, Maddox's best friend, he was born during the pandemic in Brooklyn, right near one of the major hospitals, yeah. a lot of stuff. So he hasn't gone to a program. He hasn't needed to be in daycare either. And he's going to go off to school this year, but here were Maddox and his little buddy. And, you know, these are kids, they weren't as exposed as other kids. So that was such a gift. So when I gave birth, there was Meg and her son and they're at the door, like, we're going to take Maddox for an afternoon. I'm like, wow, like, that's amazing. Like my family, my genuine, my immediate family doesn't live here, but my husband's does. And I'm like, wow, like to be taken care of like that. Sure. Right? Like, so that started to kind of evolve. That gave me a peace of mind. Holden was born, um, 19 days early, like oh, really wow. out of nowhere. Um, and I, it was like a five hour turnaround from water breaking to holding him. Yeah. And my best friend was here with Maddox and they were getting him ready for bed. And then Meg was over to put him to bed. She's like a sleep guru. And then my family was on the way from Massachusetts to relieve Meg. It was like a whole thing. Yeah. And I called Lisa, my best friend who was watching Maddox. And I'm like, Hey, she's like, why the hell are you on the phone with me right now? You're supposed to be giving birth. And I was like, well, I did already. <laughs> so it's it like that fast. But anyway, my birth story is still something I love sharing, but I'll, I'll yeah. here. So anyway, I worked for the first two weeks postpartum. Okay. I had been in touch with Connecticut paid leave saying my due date was like later, 19 days later. That was it. So I called and I said, well, I just gave birth 19 days early. So I'm calling them like four days later. Um, And they're like, you could still work your, you know, your full paid leave, your continuous leave, which means all day, every day for 12 weeks or six weeks or whatever you want it to be. Um, you're due to start April 21st, go for it. You're still on intermittent leave. So I had intermittent leave while I was pregnant to go to medical appointments. Cause I had some medical yeah. stuff I had to focus on and go for treatments and stuff while I was pregnant. Yeah. So I worked for the first two weeks. I still look back and like, how the hell did I do that? I was wondering, how did you do that? One of the things for people to just keep in mind too, for some people that not it worked oh, for no. me not possible. I know myself in postpartum and that is, I can't even imagine. So I'm like 
Yeah. Sitting here being like, how did you do that? So with Maddox, I did a prenatal yoga teacher training online with him, like on me on yeah. week two. So that was like, I was in bed healing and I was like in bad, like pretty like tough shape after him, sure. just pain wise after Holden, I wasn't. So I just went to work and mm-hmm. I had a support system here living with us family wise and I needed it. Mm. So when you talk about like coping skills and what did I do during fertility, my work is not work. I love mm. what I do. And I'm yeah. fueled by the, the sessions that I get to be part of the therapeutic sure. exchange. I absolutely love it. And I wasn't going to therapy for my benefit because I love it. And it made me feel so much better because whatever I was going, because again, I had newer individuals start with me in therapy mm-hmm. and now I'm 19 days early. I felt good. I asked my midwives what they thought. I checked in with my newer therapist who definitely is a wonderful fit for us. And they were like, yeah, I mean, I did a, I did a postpartum screen. I screened myself. I checked in with myself before every session, like you're in a different state of mind. Like, what are you going to do? But I would say the benefit is that our working space is outside of our home. Because mm-hmm. with Maddox, when I started to work, I was in the basement and he was right above me and he cried sure. all day long. I was a mess. Yeah. It was a yeah. mess, but I was very clear with the individuals I was seeing, like, this is my situation. Sure. It's still kind of COVID and I have no choice. Like if you right. see me for therapy, this is what I have to offer. You're probably going to hear him. They cannot hear us all confidentiality, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that I could come out to this space we've created yeah. I was, and I could trust the people with my son, but now sure. if at week three, I, there's no way I could have continued because he was early. Right. So he was also sleeping a lot and still developing for a trimester in the womb. So he was early. Um, so I had that benefit if he was born, I'm probably not. Um, and I didn't have pain and kind of how it rolled. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening that maybe they themselves have gone through a struggle of fertility and they're wondering, is it some, is there something else medical going on because they're being told, Oh, there's not a reason for this. Or again, it's undetermined. What advice do you have for them when it comes to not again, you're not a medical doctor. And so not asking for medical, but as far as taking care of themselves and seeking out the support and the treatment to kind of help them through this process, what would you recommend? Not to get caught up in the details. Mm the, like, these are the dates I'm going to be doing this. And then when you know the date of your transfer, now you've like calculated your due date for this baby that you're wanting to have and hopefully getting pregnant with. Yeah. That's just like playing God. And, um, somebody told me it's like a theory, like a biblical theory, and I don't push religion or anything. And I still vacillate and do my own thing between yoga stuff and Catholicism, whatever it is. Right. But, um, basically is saying that, the more we take, want to take control of the details and we think we have all this responsibility, like, oh, if I do this, then this, or if I do that, then this, if it's you doing stuff, then you're basically saying to God, like, Hey, I don't need you. It's almost adultery on God. Mm. The word is something like that. I just mm-hmm. idolatry. Yeah. Yeah. Idolatry is basically like the idol tree. It's basically saying like, you're discounting the fact that there is a higher power, whether it's God or not. And so for me, it's surrender to knowing that there is, there is a plan in place for you, for you. That's bigger than us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't want to push that on anybody, but I would just say to settle into that, 
And you're right. And I would always say that the way that we feel, even if people look back at the dating stages, because sometimes I find that people who have gone through fertility struggles also went through relational struggles, Mm -hmm. which I think everyone does, especially with all this dating and access, right? So kind of this idea of you're right. So Mm -hmm. if we're dating someone and we start fighting with them or like pushing away or feeling like, oh, I'm doing something that probably isn't like what he likes or she likes or they like or whatever that is, um, you're usually right. Mm. Right. I think we can all look back on who we've dated in the past and who we didn't marry and be like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, maybe not everyone. Yeah. Uh, And so I would say that same thing. If you're with your fertility doctor and you're like, this just doesn't feel right. I feel heard because I think I'm being heard. Yeah. There's something, there's something there. Um, listen to it, get yeah. quiet, you know, meditation. Uh, but sometimes meditation feels really scary to close your eyes during such a profoundly difficult sure. time in life. It's like, almost like I don't want to close my eyes. Cause I may not reopen them. I don't mm-hmm. want to go to sleep. Cause like the dreams might be pretty scary. Yeah. Um, but I would say accessing a therapist who has been there and been through it, who can talk to you about, Hey, when you go to your doctor, let's put together, like not even so much questions, but like, how do you want to walk into that appointment? What do you want yeah. to feel when you walk out of that appointment? Are you okay with the fact that you may walk out and say, I don't want to work with you anymore. Um, building the empowerment of if this is, fertility doctor, isn't it, there are others kind of like yeah. dating, right? If I break yeah. up with him, like who else is going to be there? Right. And those struggles bring those feelings of defeat and not being enough or or the world doesn't have enough for me. There is more than enough for everybody. And some people are very medically minded. So like may know things or want to take time to do that and others may not. So you want to find, I would say a therapist who can really connect deeply on that, even some life coaches, but people who have had the experience and like we were talking about earlier, like more and more therapists and practitioners in all different fields are starting to recognize that sharing about themselves is actually sure. important uh, and super therapeutic. Right, and right. I was asked to join this physician's practice and she put this pamphlet together and she said, um, I'm putting you down as therapist or social worker, um, endo warrior and mama. And I was like, oh, take mom off. And so she took it off. And yesterday I was talking to her and I said, I don't have a clue why I had you take that off. Um, It was as though I was in the code of ethics of social work, Mm -hmm. like our training being like, they don't need to know that part about me. Yeah. Like they don't need to know I had success because again, that goes back to my dialogue and myself, like I'm not good enough Mm. and I am a mom, but am I really there? So there's so much, Sure. but I would say surrendering and absolutely developing a team that it just doesn't need to be that fertility doctor. Yeah. Well, and I think we're, we're so bad sometimes at taking our own, you know, not that we give advice as therapists, but doing what we know we're supposed to do or taking our own advice, right. Where, you know, we'll tell a friend, like, maybe you should go talk to somebody, Mm -hmm. but then we don't have our own therapist. But I think, especially if you are going through, especially if it's Mm -hmm. struggles with fertility and it is such a roller coaster. And if you are in a space where you are also providing services to others, whether it is one-on-one in private practice, or if you're still an agency, or if you work in a school, 
making sure that you have that space that you're being cared for so that you can give the best Mm -hmm. therapeutic care for your clients or students, because if we're not okay, we're not going to be, you know, the best practitioner that we can be. Well, and I've thought about starting a group for therapists going through fertility and and having the focus really be around, like, how do you know how to work through this? Yeah. Yeah. Again, personal experience, but also just the understandings of like, we're not going to want to sit across from somebody and be in their space therapeutically to support them if we're not okay. Right. So I would say also being able to screen and manage caseload and yes. having, if it's for an agency, like talk to your boss, talk to another colleague, like, Hey, like I'm going through this. Like I definitely confiding in someone at work. Sure. Um, hopefully it could be an administrative role, someone yeah. in that role to help you. Cause if you need a break or something. Right. Um, but like, I was always like, I'm not going to see someone who's pregnant. I'm not going to see someone who's going through fertility also because it becomes a friendship then, right? Like, Mm. oh my God, here's this person telling me all her stuff. I would love to sit back and tell her mine. Right, right. So not seeing people that are going through the things that like we need that support with. However, I did have a therapist say to me, hey, I'm pregnant when I first met her. And I don't know if that's going to be hard for you. And for me, like, I was like, wow, yeah. I didn't even like think about if I was pregnant and I was seeing someone or I was going sure. through fertility and that came out. So being also very careful about what we share with ourselves. Yeah. If someone comes to you and you've been through fertility treatments and now you're, you know, let's say you're in just a place where you feel more grounded and you're out of that realm. Um, I, I don't think we're ever out of it. There's always an inkling of a reminder. Yeah. Um, but you're, you know, you're grateful for it, but recognizing like not to jump into being like, oh, I can relate. That's yeah. not that's not ethical sharing. Yeah. And I think sometimes even after we've come through and whether we're moms or we're not, or whatever that looks like, or parents, there's always healing to be had. Sure. So I've had moments in my practice where I'm like, shoot, I'm about to go there. Mm. And I, you know, whoa, yeah. supervision's important. And I would say just having colleagues that you can find that have yeah. gone through it, you know, yeah. It's not always friends and family. Sometimes right. much of a bias. Is there anything else before we wrap up that you would want other women therapists to know if they're going through their journey to motherhood and maybe it's not been as straight of a path as they had hoped and they're in private practice, anything that you would just kind of want to share before we wrap up? That we're not supposed to be perfect. Mm. And that this fertility journey, motherhood, it's preparing us for motherhood. And I know we're speaking more to women, but right. Like it's also yeah. for other hoods, you know, other yeah. parenthood pieces. And, um, it doesn't stop when we have our child. So there's so much focus on fertility. There's so much focus on going to your OB, your midwife. There's so much focus on getting pregnant, staying pregnant, giving birth. There's all this, like, how do you birth? You can take this class. You can have a doula. You can do this. There's like no focus on you're bringing that baby or those babies home. And that's the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's where I think postpartum is definitely becoming more and more of a thing. I don't know why it's, I I mean, the life is just difficult to begin with, but yeah, like just recognizing that it's all preparing you for all that for the rest of your life. Yeah. There's a lot more to come. It's a gift to be prepared. Yeah. Haley, I really appreciate you being so open and taking the time to share 
with people, not just about your fertility journey, but also just about the health journey that you were on for so many years that eventually led to you now having your, your two little ones. But I really just thank you for taking the time and and your Mm -hmm. openness and sharing with us today. Thank you so much. It was, it was really great to be with you. I love what you're doing for other women. I, I, I'm excited for even people who want to reach out to me and continue this conversation. And we'll have your information in the show notes, especially about your practice and just the work that you're doing um, in supporting women with endometriosis. So if any of our listeners can relate to that, that they will be able to connect with you that way. That's beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate this time. I really want to thank Haley again for sharing with us about her experience with endometriosis and her journey to motherhood. And if you are anticipating taking maternity leave and private practice soon or in the future, be sure to register for the free workshop I'm hosting called Planning for Maternity Leave and Private Practice. You can register at raisetoempower.com forward slash maternity leave. Thank you for listening to today's episode, and I'll see you back here next week for another new episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.